So before we jump in, I did mention the women's retreat. We actually have a great picture here of the women. We have about over 20 women at the retreat. Uh, they're at Harvey Cedars, so they get a little bit of a beach there, which is pretty cool. And um, yeah, they, from what I know, they're having a great time. Um, but, and I know that because my wife doesn't text me that much, so they must be having a good time. Uh, but when I did talk to her, it sounds like they're also growing spiritually, which is really awesome. So we love to give opportunity for men and women to get the way together, to just um, spend time together relationally, also to grow spiritually side by side. So we're excited that they get to do that. And uh, there'll be a men's retreat in the fall. So um, you're, I guess your wives can thank you by letting you go on the men's retreat. That's my, that's what I, tell them I said that. All right, that would be, that'd be a great way to introduce that topic. I'm just kidding. Hey, we're continuing our series, The Cultural Creed, and what we're doing is we're looking, if you've ever seen those lawn signs that say, like, we believe, and in this house we believe, and it goes through a number of different things, and what we're doing is we're looking at each of those things, and we're saying, how does this match up with the Bible? How does this match up with the gospel? Now, this is what I just, I want to point out to us, like, in this series, no matter where you land kind of politically, you're going to be pushed and pulled, and that's because you're going to feel that because the gospel is not left or right. It's not even center, but it's transcendent. So it's transcendent of all these things. And so what we want to do is be able to talk about these things and just kind of have the gospel reflect on these. And, and that means we're going to have to change. And there's going to be some things that we hold dearly that are going to be, it's going to be hard for us to give up. If we want to be faithful followers of Jesus, we'll have to do so. And today we're going to talk about science, the, the value science is real. Now, listen, I'm not going to be able to say everything that I possibly could say about this topic today, or I'm not going to be able to answer all of your questions. You have home meetings for that. We have the Q&A for that. But there's three books that I read this year that I just would like to just put on your radar so that way if you want to go read more, you can, that I thought were really helpful in this. First is one called Three Views on Christianity and Science. What it does is it takes three different perspectives on that. Each person gives their perspective, then the two other authors, they respond, and everyone does so in kind, and it's really helpful to just hear different perspectives. There's also a book called The Language of God by Francis Collins, which we'll mention a little bit later here in the sermon. And then Rebecca McLaughlin, she writes that book, uh, the Secular Creed book. This topic and next week's topic on immigration is not in that book, but she has another book which is really helpful, and especially for teenagers, 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer about Christianity, and she's a chapter in, about science in there, which is extremely helpful. So I'm, a lot of that's coming from them. A lot of it, those are kind of my influences in this sermon, so I just want you to be aware. So if you want to go read more, you can. But what I want us to really get down to today is that God graciously reveals himself to us through his world and his word. And that the Bible actually gives us a framework to see science and faith as things that work in harmony. So, but I want to talk about kind of just two things there, kind of two points. First, that science, well, let's look at science and faith as foes. As the, what our culture generally assumes is that these are intention. Our churches generally assume that science and faith are intention. So I'm going to look at that as like science and faith as foes, but then science and faith as friends as well. Before we dive in too much, let's give just like a little bit of like theology to kind of shape our talk today. In the Bible, we see two ways that God reveals himself, in his world and his word. 
so what happens in the medieval period is they start to talk about God has two distinct but related books. So the discipline of science reads and interprets God's world and nature, and the discipline of faith, or even think about like theology, reads and interprets God's word in the Bible. And these two books dialogue with each other. So book one is that God, God's word reveals him in a general way, what we call general revelation. So look at, if, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 19, and we'll be hanging out there today. But look at verses one through four. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. God in his grace, this is what David's saying, God in his grace created his world with his fingerprints all over it. And then what God has done, the Bible says, is God created in each and every human heart that when we see how our world works, we go looking for a creator. That's what God has done in his grace. So what science does, science tells us how the world works, how God's world works. So that's book one. But the book two is God's word, which gives us special revelations, the theologians would call special revelation. So jump down to verse 7 of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. David's pointing to special revelation. And he says, through God's word, we can know certain things. And what the Bible is clear about, what you need God's word for is like, which you won't be able to find in the world by studying the world and studying nature, you won't be able to find out what God's will is for your life. You won't be able to know the way of salvation unless you have this other book, God's special revelation. So when we study God's world, what we're doing is we're studying general revelation, which is science. That's what science does. And that causes our hearts to seek to answer life's deepest questions, which we can only find our satisfaction in special revelation through God's word. That's what faith is. But our culture dogmatically and arrogantly believes faith is opposed to science. They don't see it as two books. They see it as one book that can only survive. As far as I can tell, and this is from my quick Google research, the phrase science is real comes from a song with that title by They Might Be Giants in 2009. And listen to what they say. And listen to the antagonism and the, the, dogma, sorry, the uh, arrogance and dogmatism. I like the stories about angels, unicorns, and elves, right? All right, so angels, unicorns, elves, all the same. Now, I like those stories as much as anybody else, but when I'm seeking knowledge, either simple or abstract, the facts are with science. The facts are with science. Science is real. Angels, not real. Unicorns, not real. Please don't clip this YouTube thing. I'm saying that and then put it up on social media. You elves, not real. But science is. 
Even atheist Richard Dawkins claims that science and faith are corrosive, he says to one another. And listen to this. He says, faith teaches people to be satisfied with trivial, supernatural non-explanations and blinds them to wonderful and real explanations that we have within our grasp. Science is real. Science gives us real explanations. Faith gives us non-explanations. You hear the dogmatism and arrogance. But if we're honest, dogmatism and arrogance exist in church too. Over two millennia, there have been three, generally there's been three theories about how God created the world. The first is what you might call young earth creationism, which is this idea that God created the world over a literal seven, 24-hour day period. And the earth is 6,000 to 8,000 years old. That's one view. The other view, it would be called old earth creationism. It says that like the days in Genesis 1, when God talks about God creating the world, that's not literal. And so the earth is anywhere between tens of thousands of years old to billions of years old. And then we have the third view would be what we call evolutionary creationism, which God created the world using evolution, and the earth is billions of years old. And listen, godly Bible-believing Christians have fallen into each camp. But in recent generations, many Christians have dogmatically and arrogantly claimed that the only biblical view is young earth creationism. One famous young earth creationist claims that any other view undermines God's word. But if we look back at history, we'll realize that young earth creationism wasn't a popular view among Christians until the 1960s, when a book called The Genesis Flood was published. And true story, Moody Publishing, which is a very conservative publishing company, refused to print the book because it would be controversial to its constituents. Think about that. So the question I have is, for that young earth creationist, is did every Christian undermine God's word for 1,900 years then? Godly men, you'll recognize some of these names, like Charles Spurgeon, B.B. Warfield, J. Gresham Machen, who started Westminster Theological Seminary, John Stott, none of them were young earth creationists. But they were all passionate about defenders and proclaimers of God's word. And then we have Augustine. Augustine, one of the great theologians of the church. In his book on Genesis, he warns against being dogmatic and arrogant about how God created the world. So what Augustine says in his book, he points out that Genesis 1 is actually written in poetry in the Hebrew. So he cautioned against taking it literally. And he warned that if we're dogmatic and arrogant about a literal reading, listen to this. He says, it'll be on the screen, people outside the faith will think our sacred writers have held such positions. And to the great loss of those for whose salvation we toil, the writers of our scripture are criticized and rejected as unlearned men. If they find a Christian mistaken in a field which they themselves know well and hear him maintaining his foolish opinions about our books... How are they going to believe those books and matters concerning the resurrection of the dead, the hope of eternal life, and the kingdom of heaven when they think their pages are full of falsehoods on facts, which they themselves have learned from experience in the light of reason? Here's what he's saying. 
if you're dogmatic about your opinion about things that aren't super clear in the Bible, like Genesis 1, you see that with end times stuff, you'll give the world the impression that God's word holds the same opinion. And it will hurt your efforts to tell them about Jesus and the reliability of the facts of God's word. You hold to your opinions and you're dogmatic and arrogant about those. When it comes to the facts, people are going to be like, those are just opinions too. The resurrection, that's just an opinion. Eternal life, that's just an opinion. Because you're so dogmatic about these unclear things, how can I trust you to be like true about these clear things? Divinity of Christ? Opinion. That's what, that's what people will say. And they do say that. So listen, is my point to say that young earth creationism is wrong? No. That's for you to study, for you to decide. My point is that, first, that God's kingdom is big enough to have brothers and sisters hold different views on matters of opinion. And more importantly, that if you're dogmatic about how, about the how, you'll push people away from the who. So if you're dogmatic about how God created the world, you'll push him away from the who. And so scientifically-minded young people have actually left our churches because of things like this. Or experts in scientific fields won't want anything to do with church because of things like this. And so, like, look at Galileo. Galileo proved that the sun, not the earth, was the center of the solar system. But what happened with the Catholic Church, they reacted dogmatically and arrogantly. And truthfully, if you know the story, Galileo wasn't perfect either. But what happened is they punished him and they confined him to his house. And so what now many scientists, atheist scientists say today is they use that story and they go, look, see, faith is corrosive to science. See, when we're dogmatic and arrogant about our opinions about God's word, we do damage to our witness to the world. Are there things in the Bible we should be dogmatic about? Yes. We should never be arrogant, but yes. And the way to figure that out is to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Genesis 1 is written in poetry, so should I not hold to historical Adam? Well, when I look at Romans 5... Paul treats Adam like a historical figure. So I, know, I can say, yeah, Adam is historical. He was a real person. And then look at Christian history. What's been the church's consensus about a topic? Jesus' resurrection, always been a consensus. Literal interpretation of Genesis has never been a consensus. And it's fine. What I'm saying is, like, there's godly, Bible-believing people who land in different places on this, and that's okay. But we've created this culture, and we create churches where there's tension between science and faith, and it's damaging to both. So can we have family talk for a second? Can we talk about COVID? How we handled that? Science and faith? Culture said, trust the science, right? That's all you heard. Trust the science, trust the science, trust the science. And eventually that became shorthand for shut up and don't question us. And then church said, faith over fear, which became shorthand for we're real Christians and anyone who cooperates with mandates and precautions aren't real Christians. 
And listen, both sides took hits in people's trust with, right? People couldn't trust scientists to tell the truth without being manipulative. People couldn't trust the church to be good neighbors. See, we love conflict. As humans, we love it. Like, you won't stay up at night to watch, like, two people have a harmonious debate, but you'll stay up at night to watch, like, somebody own somebody else. You'll watch a UFC fight. You're not watching, like, a mother, like, putting her baby to sleep. Unless you have a problem going to sleep, but that's not what I'm talking about. Right? We love conflict because we love ourselves. So we assume that there's a tension there, and we take an us-versus-them posture towards the opposite side, and we put up our defenses, and we go on the attack to hurt the other side, but it ends up backfiring. Why should I trust science when you use science to manipulate me and get those who disagree with you to shut up? Why should I trust science then? Why should I put faith over fear when it's been ex- used as an excuse to do whatever you want without regard for anyone else? Both sides assume that there's tension. And when they do, they end up hurting themselves. When we're dogmatic and arrogant, it doesn't matter what side we land up on, we actually hurt the very thing we're trying to put forward. And so science and faith as friends are two harmonious pursuits of truth as God's good gifts. They're good gifts from the same God. Did you know that modern science was actually invented by Christians? True story. Two of the guys, the last name was Bacon, so not only science awesome, but it's delicious. Christians created the scientific method because they believe that the Christian God set up his world with certain laws and that are always true. So think back to the science project your parents did for you. Think about this. You would have, what, a hypothesis, right? And then you would test your hypothesis with an experiment. And if your hypothesis is true, you see the same things happening time and time again. So I had an experiment where I was like, what will grow plants? Regular water or salt water? Genius, right? What do you think happened every time with the salt water? The plants died. With water, they lived. But that's because God created laws. And Christians believe that. They came up with that. A Christian actually came up with the Big Bang. Did you know that? Scientists used to believe that the universe always existed. But Georges Lamotte, who's going to be on the screen here, he's going to actually picture, I think, with Einstein. Uh, Yeah, there you go. He's in the middle. Einstein's on the right, his left. He believed that the universe had a beginning. He's a Christian. So he went looking. He started studying the world. And he came up with the Big Bang. Actually, the Big Bang was actually a term that was used to mock him by scientists. Like, oh, you believe in the Big Bang. (laughs) Oh, yeah, like that's for real. We all know this, like the universe always existed. But he's like, no, God created the universe. It had a beginning. Let's figure out how. Albert Einstein wasn't a man of faith, but all of his heroes were. So first you have Isaac Newton. I'll have a picture up here. Isaac Newton, like, not only does he have dope hair, but he also was, like, really dope at math and physics. He wasn't a Christian, but he believed in God, and we have scientific laws named after this guy. Michael Faraday was into electromagnetism. I don't know if that's a cigar or what he has in his hand there, but... His hair's not quite as cool. 
James Clerk Maxwell, who has a dope beard. Uh, he figured out connections between electricity, magnetism, and light, and he was an elder at his church, an evangelical church in Scotland. So, like, do you see why, like, young people in particular, do you see why it's important to know history? So when someone says, I can't be a Christian and believe in science, you can respond, yes, you can. Christians invented science, modern science. Many heroes of science were Christians, and many prominent scientists today are Christians, like Francis Collins. Francis Collins led the team that first decoded human DNA. He's an evangelical Christian. The Human Genome Project was led by him. He's also the person who led the uh, uh, research for the COVID vaccine. Francis Collins, evangelical Christian. He would show up in this church. We probably would make him an elder eventually. Right? Joan Centrella. She's deputy director of astrophysics, astrophysics research at NASA. Jing Kong which I hope her friends call her King Kong, which would be an awesome, if not, that's a missed opportunity. But she actually converted from atheism to Christianity. She's an MIT professor of electrical engineering. And then there's Daniel Hastings. He's a world expert in space science at MIT, and he's a Christian. Science, see, here's the deal. Science and faith have their own criteria and methods, and they work together as God's two books of his revelation, and Christians for millennia have understood that, and they still understand today. Science and faith are disciplines of God's two books. They work in harmony when they're used for what they're intended to be used for. Science is intended to tell us how God's world works. Science is real as long as it's answering questions like about DNA sequencing, where the sun is the center of the solar system, or what pills you should take if you have a headache. But it isn't real when it tries to explain if God exists. That's not a scientific thing. That's not a scientific question. What's the meaning of life? That's not a scientific question. It's a question of faith. God's Word isn't intended to be a science book. And we shouldn't force it to be. Instead, what it does, it satisfies our human longings by answering our deepest questions. Does God exist? Yes. What's the meaning of life? Westminster Shorter Catechism sums up and says, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What's the meaning of life? For you to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Who am I? The Bible would say you're in, created in the image of God but you're also a sinner deserving of judgment. So the logical question would be like, how can I be saved from that judgment? You can find out in the Bible. It says by putting your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection on your behalf. And what else does the God's word do? If you look quickly in um, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 13, it says it revives your soul. Man, how many of us need that? It makes you wise. It causes your heart to rejoice. It enlightens your eyes. It warns you away from sin. You're not going to figure out this stuff by just going outside today. I know it's a nice day, but you're not going to figure out how to stay away from sin by just looking at the world. You need faith for that. It shows you the reward of obeying God and helps you discern your errors and stay blameless before God. See, science and faith work together in harmony when they're used to answer the questions they're intended to answer. 
There's no need to fear them. Augustine said, all truth is God's truth. So there's no need to fear what science might discover, because that's true, and it's from God. And science, if you're scientifically minded, there's no need to fear what God's Word says, because that's true. It's from God, and it's special revelation. Both are good gifts from God. And so, wrapping up Psalm 19, David says this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When we come to the realization that God graciously reveals himself to us through his world and word, what do we do? We worship. Thanking him for his gifts. God has not just said, hey, go out in nature, and that's all you're going to know of me. He said, here's the book. And God doesn't say, hey, read the book. And then when you go outside, you'll see nothing about me anywhere. You won't see any of my fingerprints. God wants you to go outside today and worship him for the beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, it's not raining. And he wants you here worshiping him, hearing from his word, reading it yourself, and saying, thank you, Lord, for giving me, let me know your will. Thank you for letting me know what's sin, how I can obey you. Thank you for letting me know how I can be saved. You need faith to worship. And when you have faith and we read things like Colossians 1 that talks about Jesus being the creator of all things, we can see scientific inquiry as an act of worship without putting study of God's word, uh, sorry, God's world, science, and God's word in tension with one another. And so Francis Collins says this in his book. He says, the God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. His creation is majestic, awesome, intricate, and beautiful, and it cannot be at war with itself. Here are a few questions I usually get asked, and I'm going to have Tim Roberts come up and do a little interview thing. A lot of times I get asked this question, what if it seems like science contradicts faith? I would just say to you, truth can't contradict truth. If it's true, it's true. And it's often our interpretation of the Bible that's wrong or our interpretation of science that's wrong. I'll give you a quick example. The Bible in 14 places says the earth has four corners. And for, because of that, Christians for centuries believed the earth was flat, and then science proved the earth is round. Put it, don't send me the YouTube videos of the flat earthers. I know about them. But the, science says the earth is round. Is the Bible wrong? No, our interpretation of the Bible is wrong. Is the Bible actually trying to say, hey, by the way, the earth is flat? No, it has other points to why it's saying the four corners. Another question is, I get asked is, does using science like medicine make me a less faithful Christian? No. If you struggle with anxiety, read God's word on anxiety, have faith, and please go see a psychologist. There's nothing wrong with that. If both are a gift, then use both. If you have cancer, pray for a miracle. I Like, listen, like, I'm going to not pick on the, you essential oils people. I love it. I have thieves and lavender all in my house. I love it. It's awesome. Like, I don't care. Pray for, like, that's even some scientific research there, too, about, like, these things, these homeopathic things. Pray for a miracle. Bathe yourself in lavender if you have cancer. It doesn't matter, like, but also go see an oncologist. 
Use everything at your disposal. All of these are gifts. We need to start seeing faith and science as God's good gifts. And then lastly, how do I know I can trust what I hear from a scientist? Big question. I like to phrase it as, what do I do with the Facebook video my Aunt Peggy shared? Here, discern the science. Be discerning. Ask yourself, who are they? Are they speaking within their field? Or are they speaking on what science is intended to speak on? My Aunt Peggy shared one about, you know, the scientists saying God, God, we can't prove that God exists, so he doesn't exist. That's not a science question. That's a faith question. Ask then, so ask who they are. What are they trying to tell me and why? Try to grasp what they're actually saying. Listen to them. And then determine if their motives are good or bad. Don't just assume. Some of us are like, every scientist says something that I disagree with, motives are bad. No, actually listen to what they're saying and determine if their motives are bad. Some of us are like, we love science, so we're like, anything they say, let's go. Can't assume that either. And then lastly, verify with sources. Start in the same scientific field. Like, if it's like talking about psychology, and then you're like, I'm going to jump all the way over to biology. It's like, let's just kind of like focus on what's being said by psychologists. And vice versa, biology or, you know, genome stuff or physics, like mathematics. Like, you always start with the people in that field first, right? You don't ask your mechanic how you fix the leaky, uh, the leaky drain in your sink, right? You ask a plumber. And, but listen, you can always find someone who goes against consensus, always. Writer Helen Lewis calls it that we live in the golden age of gurus, meaning you can find anybody who's going to speak on anything and tell you whatever you want to hear. Golden age of gurus. But here's my challenge to you. The consensus is usually the consensus for a reason. It usually means that people try to disprove it because scientists make a name, guys, by disproving each other's theories. So that's what they're all about it. They want to disprove it. They want to learn. They want to change. Not, so I'm not saying, that's saying 99% of people, okay? But listen, it's usually consensus means somebody tried to disprove and they couldn't. But it doesn't always mean that, okay? So you need to be discerning. And also I just say be discerning of your own motives. Don't just buy into something or automatically reject it because it does or doesn't fit with your narrative. Okay? Like actually listen and discern your own motives, in that as well. So I asked Tim Roberts to come up. He's the most scientifically smart person I know. Um, but he's going to come up, and we're going to, a lot of pressure, Tim. But we just want to kind of talk about how these things work in harmony. And we figured we'd keep it light, a little lighter because uh, the ladies aren't here. No, not all the ladies. Excuse me. But yeah. So Tim, why don't you just like start by telling us like, we know now your name, but like, what, what, you, yeah, what do you do for a living? Yeah, so I am a um, physician assistant, so I practice medicine, um, and I've practiced in emergency medicine in Philadelphia um, for about seven and a half years now. Awesome. So when we're talking about like faith and science working in harmony, maybe we just kind of like take these, t- take two questions and kind of flip them. So how has like, ah, good thing I wrote these down too. How has science helped you grow in your faith? And then flip it around. How has faith helped you in your field of science? Yeah, so for the first question, um, so I kind of went through 
as a kid into like my education, kind of this journey of kind of the dogmatism. So my church growing up, my faith community was very suspicious, kind of of science, suspicious of modern medicine, somewhat antagonistic kind of at its worst. Um, and so that's kind of what I absorbed as a kid. And I didn't really have to um, really confront this until I went to college and I was in a pre-med track, so I majored in biology. I went to a Christian liberal arts school, so relatively conservative. All my professors were professing Christians. Um, and I have this very like vivid memory of literally my first biology class, um, one of my first days at school, um, one of my professors, a Christian, introduced theistic evolution. Um, and you know, that kind of stirred some internal conflict with me, but I have this very vivid memory of this um, girl in the front row who became like more increasingly kind of hysterical, like confronting the same question, like how, how could God, you know, use this? What we had been taught was kind of an atheistic construction of science in our worldview. Um, and she actually got up, stormed out of the class, dropped the major, and ultimately dropped out of Messiah College completely. So she could not kind of harmonize what mm. was a theistic um, theory with kind of what she had been taught. Mm. Um, and I had like a very similar kind of internal reaction. Um, I'm an internal processor. I didn't, you know, confront the, the professor about it. But as I kind of grew um, in my major, as I grew in maturity, I realized that science and faith, regardless of kind of like you said, what you ultimately you know, land on as theories for these things, for you know, how we got diversity um, in plants and animals and all these different things, um, they're not dichotomous, they're not antagonistic. In fact, they're synergistic. Science is always going to point us back to Christ. Science the further you delve into it, is never going to disprove God. Um, in fact, it will only illuminate that there is a God and there is a creator. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, kind of as I created this harmonious relationship, um, and as I kind of went through college and then into my master's degree, um, science and specifically like the study of the human body became like, um, uh, it gave me a lot of peace actually in my mm. faith because there were times when I felt like my faith was weak and I could, I could look at these things that I was studying every day, the complexity of how we as humans operate and anybody kind of in their field, physics, biochemistry, will say the same thing. It points to a creator, it points towards an intelligent designer and somebody that loves us. And so mm. that has been like a great encouragement to my faith. Um, kind yeah, of the further you. as I go into it. Yeah, awesome. So when we talk about like faith helping you in your field, I imagine it's, it's a practical kind of expression of that. But yeah, talk about that a little bit. How's that? Yeah, so this is kind of less nuts and bolts for me. I'm not a professor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a researcher. Um, I'm a clinician. And so what that really means is that I'm dealing with humans and I'm dealing with patients. Um, and so kind of as I, I thought about this question, um, really what my faith has done for me in my field is it's um, kind of preserved my soul, <laughs> in a mm -hmm. sense, preserved my empathy, um, and preserved my love for God's people. Um, so medicine as a whole, emergency medicine in particular, is a field that's kind of wrought with cynicism and with burnout. Um, this has only been accelerated in the past few years, especially with COVID. 
And so I see a lot of my colleagues who are injured people because of the field that we work in. Hmm. Um, and you know, I know why I have had to try to resuscitate a you know, 24 year old asthmatic that dropped dead and we failed. Um, I've had to tell like an immigrant um, father that the mother of his children and his wife was unconscious from a brain bleed and might never wake up. Hmm. Um, in the same vein, you know, we on the regular suffer verbal, sometimes physical abuse from kind of what society views as, as the deplorables, um, hmm. alcoholics, drug addicts, homeless. Um, and you meet this every time you go into work. Hmm. Um, and so I think without uh, the reference of my faith as a guiding compass to reorient me to empathy for these people, um, to reorient um, what seem like you know, awful situations that have no explanation um, has really been able to, to buffer um, those things that would otherwise kind of corrode, corrode my soul and corrode my, my empathy and my love for these people that, you know, I studied science to be able to treat. Mm. Yeah, so faith almost makes you more compassionate in your field, which is really yeah. useful when it you're does. dealing with people that can be really challenging. Yeah, and it gives me a worldview that I can process these things. Um, it gives me explanations for things that for a lot of my colleagues I see they don't really have a way to grapple with it. Yeah. So it, you know, it ultimately, like I said, kind of corrodes and injures them. Yeah. Thanks, man. Hey, uh, I don't know if you know this, but um, Tim is kind of like a hero of the men's retreat, too. Um, so we were thankful that he was there because we had a medical situation that needed to be attended to. And it was a good thing that Tim was there. Because um, the rest of us were like grabbing our pocket knives and like we're gonna have to cut this guy's finger off. But Tim was there to kind of make sure that worked out, and he was very compassionate and uh, he used his brain, his his science background to help us figure it out. So you know, so I think it's what we're trying to say is like, hey, look, like um, God's word is sufficient, it is authoritative for faith and practice, um, but God gives us these other gifts to help us kind of round out. Um, our belief. And uh, yeah, thanks, Tim. Hey, can we, let's pray for, let's say, give him a round of applause. Let's pray for Tim and his field, for, for all the nurses and all the other people who work in the science fields, uh, and also for our church. Lord, we just thank you so much for Tim. We thank you for the work that he does. We thank you that we have godly Christian men and women in this church that work in hospitals and other scientific fields of like throughout the Liberty Communion. I know many. Uh, we just thank you for them. And we thank you that there's Christians there doing it um, who show compassion and love, who uh, have hope for people when they don't necessarily have it, but also that there's this kind of this drive to learn more about you through their field. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you for your son who's created all things. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.